Welcome, and thanks for listening to the sermon podcast from First Presbyterian Church of Honolulu. Today, we get real. Jeff Page is the First Pres Director of Young Adults. Jeff opens up his life as we continue in the sermon series on the core values of First Pres. Well, today we continue in our series in the core values of our church, and there are five of them, and they spell out the acronym PATHS. P is for presence of God, A is for authenticity, which I'll be talking about today. T is for thoughtfulness, H is for humility, and S is for service. These are the paths that will lead us closer to Jesus. Well, I wanna kick us off today with a question. In our world today, who would you say has it made? Who's living the good life right now? Think about the times that we're living in. Who's really well off? And as you reflect on the question, I wanna invite you to share your thoughts in the chat. So let's brainstorm together. Who does our culture say is hashtag blessed? Most likely what comes to mind is this, blessed are the billionaires, blessed are the supermodels, blessed are the well-educated and independently wealthy, blessed are the popular kids and the Instagram influencers. And for those who live in Hawaii, blessed are the Lonnie Kai homeowners, the Port Lock and Park Lane landlords. Blessed are the Punahou grads, the Pacific Club members, and of course, everyone who has air conditioning. Well, I could go on and on, but instead I want to share with you today how I used to see the good life as a teenager. As a teen, I thought the good life was having your own car. Now, those were the people who had it made. They could go anywhere, do anything at any time of day. But then I finally achieved the good life of car ownership and discovered that the good life had a price tag. See, car payments, insurance payments, gas costs, and worst of all, the directive from my parents that I need to drive my brother and sister everywhere. I spent hours chauffeuring them to soccer practice and picking them up from school. Driving was not all it was cracked up to be. Well, what about you? Who do you look at and think, wow, they've got it made. They really are living the good life. Well, today we're going to talk, take a deep dive into, what, uh, into who really has it made, according to the God of the universe. What I'll share with you today has utterly transformed my life, and I'm convinced it will do the same for you if you allow it to. But first, I want to ask you, have you ever had a stress dream? If so, what was it about? Ever been constantly chased by someone or show up to work in just your underwear? Feel free to type your example into the chat. Well, I've certainly had my fair share of stress dreams, but in college, freshman year, my stress dream became reality in the worst way. I was late to class, stressed out, when I walked into a dead silent lecture hall, and I looked up and saw 200 of my classmates, silent and stony-faced, with their heads down, feverishly writing with their number two pen pencils. And on my professor's deck, there was this pile of disturbingly thick white packets. What was going on? I thought, try not to panic, pop quiz, a surprise essay prompt, but no, to my absolute horror, the packet clearly read midterm. This couldn't be happening. I must be stress dreaming again, but no, I had just blindly stumbled into my midterm late for my most difficult class and I was utterly unprepared. Heart hammering in my chest, I took a seat in the last row of the lecture hall. Frantically, I dug in my bag for a pencil, but no again, nothing but pens. Then I froze, staring at my Scantron with eyes wide. What in the world am I gonna do? 
Then I noticed that a classmate one row ahead of me had not one, but five, five freshly sharpened number two pencils all lined up on her desk. She couldn't possibly need them all, right? Well, urgently I whispered to her, psst, psst. She looked up startled and then gave me the stink eye. Psst, can I borrow a pencil? Shut up. You're gonna get us in trouble for cheating and then we're gonna both get zeros. I won't shut up until you give me a pencil. Another stink eye and a furtive glance to the professor. And then she threw her pencil to me. Thank you. I proceeded to have my worst midterm experience ever. It was horrible. I actually still have nightmares about that moment. Stressed and disheartened and desperately ashamed. What the heck is wrong with me? Why am I such a mess? If there was anyone headed for success, blessing in their best life now, it certainly wasn't me. This lived nightmare only confirmed what I already knew. Something was deeply wrong with me. I could not and would not be blessed. There were those successful good life people and then there was me. But here's the thing that's so incredibly awesome. Jesus has an altogether different view of who is really well off. And to learn more about it, we're gonna dig into the beginning of his famous Sermon on the Mount, which is in Matthew chapter five. What we're about to read is often referred to as the Beatitudes. Beatitude, that's a weird word, huh? It's actually two words smashed together. Beautiful attitude, beautiful attitudes, blessed attitudes. Well, for those of you who are familiar with this passage, I wanna invite you to, to see it in a new way to let these historic words hit you anew. And I'll read the first two verses, and then we'll hear the rest of the clip from Drive Through History, which is filmed actually on the mountain where Jesus was speaking. So let's pray. Lord Jesus, open our hearts, our minds, and our lives to your words as we read them now. Help us to see your heart in this passage. Amen. Well, let's lead, read Jesus's words together. Now, when Jesus saw the crowds, he went up on a mountainside and sat down. His disciples came to him and he began to teach them. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they'll be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you, and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad because great is your reward in heaven. For in the same way, they persecuted the prophets who were before you. This is the word of the Lord. Jesus says the word blessed nine times in this passage. Now, most of us don't really use the word blessed often, so let's try and make sense of what it means. Well, according to the biblical meaning, if you're blessed, you're someone who has the good life. You're someone who has it made. Today, we regularly say things like, he's so lucky, or I wish I had her life about those people that we consider blessed. Another way of thinking about the biblical meaning of blessing is if you're blessed, God is actively working for your good. 
Some people see the Beatitude statements as illustrations of virtues or like a set of instructions how to be blessed. But I want to invite you to consider an alternate perspective. What if Jesus was not merely talking about blessed attitudes, not just examples of the kind of good person we should aim at becoming? What if he was speaking good news directly to people who were considered by society to be unblessable? What if he was speaking to people like you and like me? See, at the time, life in Galilee was rough. Jesus and those who were listening to him were under Roman occupation and were subject to harsh restrictions and requirements, almost like a COVID lockdown. You see, in the brutal world of the first century, these beatitudes were actually enormous liabilities. The poor in spirit, the mourning, the meek, these are the hopeless cases who are doomed to be crushed by reality. Well, according to Dallas Willard, who is an accomplished philosopher at the University of Southern California, the Beatitudes simply cannot be good news. If they're understood as a how-to for achieving blessedness, they would only amount to a new legalism. They would not serve to open the kingdom anything but they would impose a new way of closing the door. Think back to the Beatitudes passage, or better yet, open it up in your Bible. Or you could click on the notes section that's in the tab to the right side of your screen. Imagine that Jesus wasn't just speaking to a crowd. No, he was addressing specific people that were right there in front of him. When he said, blessed are the poor in spirit, he was likely gazing directly at someone right there who was poor in spirit. And then he moved on and made eye contact with someone who is mourning, and then someone who is meek, and so on. Think about each beatitude not necessarily as like a prepared teaching, but as Jesus's real response to real individuals who are right there. See, Jesus values authenticity, and so do we. As a church, one of our core values is authenticity. Why? Because it matters so deeply to Jesus. In the beatitudes, we see Jesus speaking to the real, most, most authentic part of those he was speaking with. Well, what does that mean for you? It means that Jesus speaks to, and his blessing is available exclusively to, the real you, where you really are right now. God is most accessible to the authentic you. Avatars, resumes, icons, social media personas need not apply, and they don't impress Jesus. But Jesus is standing right with the real you and he's got all you need. The reality and transformation it brings can only happen if we're real with God and real with each other. No need to fake it. Let's look a little closer at what Jesus says and blow some of the dust off the words that some of us may have heard many times. So according to Jesus, blessed are the poor in spirit. What the heck does it mean to be poor in spirit? It means that you are weak at the core of your being. In this context, your spirit is that part of you that makes choices, sets things into motion, and relates to God. Another word for spirit is will. So Jesus is really saying, weak-willed people have the good life. Wait, what? Weak-willed people are fortunate because the kingdom of the heavens is available to them. Seriously, Jesus? What about verse 4? Blessed are those who mourn. What's that all about? Jesus says, depressed or grieving people are well off because they'll be comforted. 
Well, what about the meek? What does meek even mean? When was the last time you used the word meek when you weren't with church people? The word meek actually refers to mild, forgettable, and harmless people. So Jesus, tell us who else has the good life. The oppressed and desperate for justice. Those who can't see, some, can't see someone in pain and will wreck their lives to help. The pure in heart, AKA the perfectionists. The peacemakers are those who are stuck in the middle of conflict with the task of resolving it. Those who are being punished for doing the right thing. Who's the good life for? It's for you. Even if people are ridiculing you, trashing your reputation and trying to ruin your life because you love Jesus. Is Jesus saying, these people have it going on. They're the really successful people. You should be jealous of these guys. I don't think so. Is he saying, I'll bless you if you become like them? Mm, not quite. Well, what in the world is he saying? Jesus is saying that God's kingdom, which is all around us, is now available to everyone, especially those that our society looks down on. In the words of musician Paul Simon, it's available to the sat upon, spat upon, and ratted on. Unblessable people like me and you are welcome to enter God's kingdom right now. We're welcome to begin experiencing the good life in God's love and presence and to live there forever. Of these supposedly unblessable people, Jesus says, theirs is the kingdom of the heavens. Wait, what? If you're confused, I'm with you. I spent my whole time in seminary and several years in ministry scratching my head about the kingdom of the heavens. That's really humbling that I didn't get it considering the kingdom is what Jesus is always talking about. Again and again, he says things like, repent for the kingdom of the heavens is at hand. What the heck is a kingdom and why is it good news? See, a kingdom is the range of someone's effective will. You might not realize it, but you have a kingdom and so do I. Your kingdom is, the, is your sphere of influence. It's all the parts of your life that you have say over. Your kingdom includes your body, your wallet, your home, your thoughts, your relationships, and all those things that you're in charge of. God also has a kingdom. The kingdom of God is actually God in action, making things just the way he wants them to be. It's where his power and blessing flow freely for his good purposes and for the well-being of all those who are under his rule. And the kingdom's not naturally present in or accessible to humans because we usually just end up doing our own thing. But it's so close to us that in Jesus's words, the kingdom of the heavens is at hand. It's not at arm's length, it's at hand. See, a T-Rex with his tiny arms can't even reach the toilet paper, but he could easily reach the kingdom of the heavens because it's so close. But your kingdom naturally excludes the peace and power of God's kingdom unless the real you has invited Jesus to take control, to rule your life and your universe. The resources of the heavens are available to the real you in his kingdom, which is here. So to the perfectionists who drive themselves and everyone around them crazy, to those being punished for doing the right thing, and to the unending list of hopeless cases and lost causes like you and me, Jesus gives the kingdom of heaven. Let's dig deeper. See, each beatitude has two parts. First, Jesus calls out 
the specifics of someone who considers themselves unblessable or who is considered unblessable. Second, he gives the good news to those people directly in their authentic, vulnerable mess. But what does that mean for us today? Well, first, it means that Christ sees you, the real you. And Jesus wants the real, messy, and authentic you. He knows you to the darkest depths and loves you to the bluest skies. And the good life of God's blessing is for you, now and always. It's for the real you, though, warts and all. As you may have sensed from my story earlier, I've had lots of evidence throughout my life that I would never make it that I would never be well off or successful. I grew up being the one who always messed up, the one who was losing everything, the one who was late or missed out. My teachers, my parents, my friends all thought I was a slacker. Often I'd hear, Jeff is really smart, but he just doesn't apply himself. It drove me crazy. But far worse, it's driven the most important women in my life crazy. See, when I was a teenager, Christmas was a big deal for our family. We had a huge extended family, and we always celebrated on Christmas Day together. And every few years, my parents got to host Christmas Day party. Because our extended family is so big, people would be hanging out in every room in the house, including my bedroom. So there was all this preparation to be done to get ready for the party, but I had one job to clean my room, a daunting task. So I rolled up my sleeves and went to work. About an hour later, my mom came into my room to find me playing my Nintendo Game Boy, lounging on my bed, which was stuffed with approximately five metric tons of laundry and paper. Sure, the floor was clean and the bed was made, but mom was livid. She threw everything into the center of my room, and in a typical mom fashion, she informed me that there would be no Christmas until my room was clean. So naturally, I was happy to return to work. I finished the job quickly and quietly, and as you can see, I responded with profound maturity and repentance. Yes, that dark cloud to the left of the tree, that's me. The perfect picture of teenage maturity and reason. Well, years later, enter my best friend and bride, Marissa. And there's no doubt that I've been used greatly to make her more like Jesus. But not always for my stunning example and Christ-like love. See, life with me, especially early in our marriage, has been the smelly fertilizer that produced in her the spiritual fruit of patience in her life. And she wants you to be clear, those are my words, not hers. Well, Marissa vividly remembers the day that we moved my stuff from my dorm into what would be our new home. She and I were newly engaged and we were moving things into our first tiny apartment on campus at my seminary. At least that's what she thought, a simple move. But to her horror, simple move was code for sorting through years of disorganized receipts, unopened mail, overdue parking tickets, and trash. And she literally thought, what in the world have I gotten myself into? Clearly, I could teach a master class on the dual arts of clutter creation and disorganization, which means that losing things has been a challenge from an early age. Because of, the, because of this, I developed the habit that whenever I would lose something or forget something, I'd go into this huge downward spiral of self-condemnation. Self and at times I've gotten so down on myself that I've been nearly incapacitated or paralyzed by self-loathing. 
And at other times I would overcorrect and just force myself into these desperate and extreme actions to find the loss item so that I didn't feel completely doomed. But the Beatitudes show me and show us that Jesus sees us. He sees our mess and he sees my disorganization, my clutter, my struggle to focus on just one thing at a time. And in the Beatitudes, Jesus says, that's the guy my blessing is for. He sees me, knows me to the bottom, and loves me to the sky. He doesn't bless me because I'm a mess, nor will he let me stay a mess. But nevertheless, Jesus blesses this mess. And since I've given my life to Jesus, God's grace and acceptance is what offers me freedom and perspective when I start to spiral. What about you? What are the things about you and your situation that you think disqualifies you from the good life? that disqualifies you from being fully blessed by Jesus or truly loved by others. Like my clutter and disorganization, what's the proof that you put forward that you've, you certainly have not been and will not be blessed? Whatever that is, that authentic self is who Jesus speaks to. That's the person Jesus invites to the kingdom. Are you struggling to show Jesus the authentic you? It's no surprise, really. Our new normal culture is all about the filter we use and the pictures we post. Even Zoom has a touch-up appearance feature. More and more, especially in the season of social distancing, we see everyone else's augmented best and compare it to our worst. And then everyone else sees our augmented best and compares it to their worst. What does this do? It just perpetuates an ecosystem of false appearances and inauthenticity. It makes us feel like our lives, our bodies, our moments aren't good enough, that we need to do something extra for them to be good enough to share with others. Well, in Luke 18, Jesus tells the story of two men praying, a Pharisee and a tax collector. The Pharisee walks straight up to the temple, praising God for what a great guy he thinks he himself is. And then he starts rattling off his religious do-good resume. But the tax collector stands far from the temple and won't even look up, pleading, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. And the Pharisee says, I'm so glad I'm not like that jerk over there. What's God's response? Crickets for the Pharisee, but he comes right to the guy who says, have mercy on me, a sinner. See, God's kingdom is open to the vulnerable and real people, but self-satisfied fake people, not so much. I've got good news for you and for me. God likes us way better than our resumes. We don't need to pitch ourselves to God like the Pharisee. That goes directly to his junk mail. Instead, we need to be honest with ourselves and with him about our mess, praying, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. Well, when Jesus looks at you, what does he see? What's your stress? What's your mess? Is it your health? Is it your finances? Due to COVID-19, is it broken relationships? like divorce or daily trauma? Or is it the loss of a loved one? Is it, the, is it an addiction or body issues? Whatever it is, Jesus wants the real you. And Jesus has good news for the real you. His blessing is not because of your attitude, actions, or circumstances. It's because of who he is. The king who is with you is the answer to your deepest needs and longings. In each beatitude statement, Jesus is seeing and understanding someone. 
and then lovingly give them good news tailored just for them. We'll look at verse 4. What good news does Jesus have for depressed or grieving people? Well, they have access to the kingdom, which means that God himself is available to personally dry their tears. What about mild, forgettable, and harmless people? The smart palm of their good news is, as they learn to live in and under the kingdom, mild and unforgettable will become God's children, competent to rule the earth. Jesus' surgical strike on the suffocatingly self-critical, the perfectionist, is this. The perfectionists are blessed because they will see perfection himself. And for the merciful, those who will wreck their lives to help someone in pain, Jesus says, blessed are you because on the cross, God will wreck his own life to help you. Don't you see Jesus and his kingdom are the answer to your deepest need and most desperate longings. His good life is available for the real you now and for all time. God created us for a relationship with both himself and with other people. In Genesis, God says it's not good for a person to be alone. God actually created each of us with needs that he himself can't meet. Why? Because he made us for vulnerable, authentic relationships with other people. In fact, our relationships with one another is how much of God's own blessing comes into our life. I experienced this from a friend's vulnerability with me and then my own vulnerability with Marissa. Well, some time ago, my friend Patty shared with me a big realization she had. She talked about her forgetfulness, inattention, struggled to focus. And then she told me she'd been diagnosed with ADHD. Well, for those of you who aren't familiar with ADHD, uh, it stands for Attention Deficit Hyperactivity Disorder. It's a mental health disorder that includes a combination of persistent and severe symptoms like difficulty paying attention, prioritization, and low tolerance for frustration. Well, Patty shared that she'd recently begun treatment and it was really helping her. All of her symptoms really resonated with me. And later I was talking with Marissa about my frustration with my own disorganization and forgetfulness. And she really listened and she helped me feel heard. And then she wondered if I might have ADHD and lovingly suggested I get checked out. So I went to my doctor who referred me to a counselor who then, then diagnosed me and I began treatment. Well, this process certainly hasn't been easy, but it's made a significant difference in my daily life. And actually, I don't think I'm that bad. Hey, did you see those minor birds? Well, not long after the diagnosis, I was meditating on the Beatitudes and Jesus spoke directly to me, to all the shame and frustration and disappointment that had built up over years. Well, I sensed that he really saw me and that he made me these outlandish promises that move me and inspire me every time I read them. Here are a couple of Beatitudes that I sensed him share with me. Blessed are you who can't even, for God can and will through you. Blessed are you who struggle with focus, for God speaks to you on many channels at once. Through these Beatitudes and through my regular daily interaction with Jesus, I'm coming to see myself through God's eyes. I'm learning to see that God made me the way that I am on purpose and that my deep disappointment with myself is out of perspective. As I learn from Jesus to live in his kingdom, he's teaching me to depend on him and to develop strategies to support my growing edges. 
Now that we've got a better understanding of what Jesus is saying, I want to invite you to take a few moments to be authentic with God. Because Jesus has good news for the real you right now, in a a moment, I'm going to guide you through a meditation that my mentor Dave Robinson guided me through. We're going to imagine together that we're actually listening to Jesus' sermon on that mountainside in Galilee. We're going to picture the rocky soil under us and the birds chirping overhead. Then we're going to ask the Holy Spirit to give us our own beatitude promise. If you haven't done imaginative prayer before, this may feel a bit awkward or uncomfortable, but I want to encourage you to lean in to the discomfort and embrace the awkwardness. Jesus has something he wants to share with you right here and right now. And he can't wait to connect with the real you. Now let's begin to imagine the scene. Take a few deep breaths and close your eyes. Let's invite the Holy Spirit into this imaginative prayer experience. Ask him to speak to you. Come Holy Spirit. It's mid-morning and Jesus is seated on a mountainside surrounded by people. The weather's perfect, not too hot, not too cold. Feel the gentle breeze on your face. As Jesus speaks, he's locking eyes with each person, one by one. There's the one who looks down and out, and then someone who's clearly been weeping for days. There is a gentleness in Christ's eyes and he seems to embody this sense of true welcome. He starts to say the craziest things, that unblessable people are blessed, that God's kingdom is for them. And then Jesus' gaze falls on you. He looks right into your eyes, really seeing you. In that moment, you somehow sense that he understands the deepest, most painful parts of you. What does he see? What mess does he give voice to? And then, what good news does he give to you? What outrageous kingdom promise does he have for you? Jesus is here with you. He sees you and welcomes you into his kingdom. And he says to you, blessed are you who, for, now let's take a few moments and sit with this with Jesus. And if you sense anything, even if you're not sure it's from God, write it down. If nothing specific came to mind, or if what came to your mind didn't resonate with or encourage you, that's okay. Jesus may just want more time alone with you. Maybe he wants to refine your beatitude. I recommend setting aside some time later today or this week to read over Matthew 1 through 12 
invite his presence, and once again, wait in silence for him to respond. He will. In our time together, we've been talking about the value of authenticity, that Jesus sees you and has good news for the real you. But our authenticity isn't just essential for our relationships with Christ, it's essential for our relationships with one another. Now more than ever, meaningful community is impossible without authenticity. So I wanna encourage you to take this opportunity now to be authentic with each other. If you sensed Jesus say something to you, I invite you to share it in the group chat. I know it might seem scary, but be brave. What Jesus shared with you might not just be for you alone. It might be for someone else too. Now, for some of you, your beatitude might be too personal or raw to share, so please don't feel pressured to share right now. But I do want to encourage everyone to share what they sensed and experienced today with at least one person. It could be your parents, your auntie, your uncle, your brother, your sister, your significant other, your best friend, or even a counselor. And don't forget to write your beatitude down and put it somewhere important, somewhere you're going to see it often. Turn it into a prayer and speak it over yourself every day. Jesus saw you and blessed you with this, so commit to say it or read it whenever you feel overwhelmed or stuck. Invite the Holy Spirit to make Christ's words a growing reality in your life. See, just hearing Jesus' words is amazing, but the real blessing comes from being his apprentice. Your beatitude is truly realized over time as you learn to make it a daily reality. This happens as Jesus teaches us and we develop practices to grow into people who live in his kingdom with ease. I don't mean just trying harder or doing better in the moment. I mean training under Jesus so that we grow into someone who consistently does what he says. Well, Jesus, by the Holy Spirit, is ruling and reigning and active in the space you and I occupy. But many of us have opted out of his kingdom. Why? Because we're too busy with our own little kingdoms, our own important daily to-dos. So we miss out on what God is doing and his limitless provision that's here and now. God has something he wants to do uniquely through you. Jesus is offering to be your savior, your Lord, and your sensei. And if you haven't already, I wanna invite you to experiment with Jesus. That's what I did and everything changed. And I'm still changing. So ask Jesus to show you if he's real and if he's God. And then put your confidence in Jesus. Let his capital K kingdom Rule your little lowercase k1. You can't drift into a life of constant companionship with Jesus any more than you can drift into marriage. You must make the decision to have Jesus with you. So please pray with me. Father, forgive my mess for Jesus' sake. Holy Spirit, fill me in my kingdom. Jesus, I intend to be your student. Please be my sensei and the master class of my life. I intend to learn from you the indestructible life you offer in the kingdom of the heavens. Fill my life for this purpose. Amen. And now I want to remind you that the Lord is always with you. And so I want to send you out with God's blessing. So please receive this blessing. May the Lord be with you. May his countenance be upon you and his grace with you always. And may you know deep in your heart the wonderful love of God the Father and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. He is with you always. In Christ's name, amen. Well, 
That's it for this service this week. Aloha, ahui ho, God bless, and uh, I'll be back next week and I'll be preaching next week. So see you then. Who are you deep down inside? That you that is known by only you. God sees that you and he loves and blesses every aspect of you. If you'd like to hear this sermon again, you can listen to and download this and other sermons from the First Pres website, fpchawaii.org. Subscribe to the podcast on iTunes or wherever you listen to podcasts. Now, normally we meet Sundays at our Ko'olau campus or at The Vine in Kaka'ako, but for now, you can find the entire church service streamed online on the church website, fpchawaii.org. For our virtual church service, click the online church box at our regular church service times, Sunday mornings at 8, 9.30, and 11.11, and Sunday afternoon at 4 p.m. for The Vine. Be sure to check your email for links to sermons, church news and updates, and daily devotionals. If you have any questions or needs, you can reach the church through the website or just call 808-532-1111. For Pastor Dan Chun and the entire staff at First Prez, I'm Michael Shishido. Until next time, God bless you, stay safe, and thank you for listening. This sermon podcast is copyright 2020 and produced by the media ministry of First Presbyterian Church of Honolulu.